Do you remember that movie? Do you remember that scene? Invictus? So Mandela is responding to the challenge of one of his faithful uh, colleagues. Now he's obviously in office, Mandela, and the colleague asks for more men, for bodyguards, and the men that are sent are white men who used to be opposed, and that's what the argument's about. I asked for more men, but look who they sent for bodyguards. They sent as bodyguards the men that used to be involved in trying to undo us and even tried to kill us, and in some cases succeeded. And that great and powerful statement, when people see me, they see my bodyguards, and what they see is a statement to them about where we're going. So... Fear isn't starting here. Fear is over. It's a conflictual situation, and his statement is powerful in this clip. The rainbow nation starts here. Change starts here. Mercy starts here. Forgiveness starts here. That's the obligation. It's also an opportunity he sees in this conflictual situation. Things have to change if things are going to change. That's a simple statement. You know, conflict is all around us. We saw it here in the, in the report on what's happening in Asia Minor. And this conflict is not a new thing. So Turkey's blowing up everywhere around it, seems to be blowing up figuratively and literally. Today, you know, it's, I probably don't need to remind you, today is the 15th anniversary of a great conflict here, of 9-11. Not long ago that Nelson Mandela led his country through a tremendous conflict that took years and years of painful and aggressive attacking of the conflict. Conflict is all around us. Whether we want to admit it or not, it's pretty common, unfortunately. In fact, it was even common in Scripture times and among some of the heroes of Scripture. We have conflicts all over the Bible that are noted. Conflict between Joseph and his brothers. You might want to go read about some of these later on. The conflict, obviously, between Cain and Abel. That was a pretty dramatic one. Between Abraham and Lot, which was a friendly conflict, but a conflict... Nonetheless, between Paul and Barnabas, we referred to that several weeks ago in one of our sermons. In the middle of ministry, they have this conflict, doing the will of God on a missionary trip. The two missionaries are in conflict with each other about which approach to take or which direction to go. And so what do they do? They divorce. They divide up. You go your way. I'm going my way. This isn't working. It wasn't comfortable. You have Mary and Martha. Remember that little conflict? Lord. Tell her to get off her, uh, well, tell her to come and help me with the dishes. Sibling conflict. And then you have even the apostles who are with Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, walking with Jesus, listening to Jesus, being taught by Jesus for a long time, a relatively long time, way more direct contact with Jesus than any of us have had the privilege of having, at least in the flesh. And there's conflict there. There's constant conflict. It's as though Jesus chose those disciples to guarantee conflict. Cousin groups and political groups and this, economic differences and family differences. It's like, Jesus, what are you thinking? You did not choose this group 
so that it would be easy at all to move through with unity, you chose the group to make it harder for there to be unity. And in the context of that, he says, look, if you can love each other, then all people will know that you're my disciples. Because you guys are so diverse, you should not be able to pull that off. And you have the apostles at one low point, even engaging their mothers to come and speak to them. And they secretly ask Jesus, hey, when you come into your kingdom, you know, when there's an actual throne set up and you're sitting in that throne and everybody's obeying you, any chance my sons could sit at your right hand? One at your right, one at your left? And then that's overheard, and as you could imagine, there's conflict over that. You get your mother coming and asking the Lord for you. Can you imagine the argument there? Maybe There's conflict everywhere. Even in Scripture, there's conflict. We don't need anything as substantial as what I just talked about for there to be conflict in the churches, though. Everybody knows churches have conflict. Local congregations have conflict. Some people will never step foot inside a church building or allow themselves the privilege of friendship with some of you precisely because of the petty conflicts they've seen in the church. We can cry and moan all we want about how a generation is turning its back on the church, but folks, we're responsible for some of that. By the way we've acted toward each other and treated each other, things have to change. Look at some of these. I was looking at a survey about church conflicts the other day. And these are some of the absurd reasons. These are actual recorded church arguments where people have spoken about these things not so well, not in such a healthy way, and then left their local church to go join a different local church that before long they'll leave to go join another local church over some petty conflict. There's some real arguments. There was an argument in one church over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. The appropriate length. I'm serious. This became a terrible, ugly fight that split a church. And some people left that church over that issue. There was a fight over which picture of Jesus to hang in the foray in one church. These are real recorded church divisions, church conflicts. There was an argument on whether the church should allow, you'll love this, if I were a young person and I experienced this, I might never come back to a church again either, with all the things happening in the world. The one church spent a couple of business meetings in a heated argument over whether or not they should allow deviled eggs in the church meal anymore. Because why would we have anything that references the devil, really? See this? We should read this. That's inspired, and what's the next word? Intelligent. Which would disqualify us from a lot of church and involved. In fact, they went from arguing over whether there should be deviled eggs allowed at the church potluck to arguing over the term potluck instead of pot blessing because the word luck was an infringement upon the sovereignty of God. Beth Moore, who we, we have some Beth Moore studies here, and we all recognize her as a very gifted and uh, helpful teacher. But she confessed that she was once chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee table, vanilla syrup to be used at the coffee table 
or cream, and it looked too much like liquor. So the church publicly chastised her for not being more sensitive. I mean, these are the kinds of things around which churches have conflict. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are saying, no, I was there that day. <laughs> I remember these crazy, silly things. Conflict is everywhere. It's in nations. It's certainly in our nation. Bombs are going off literally some places and figuratively, figuratively everywhere. Even in Scripture, there's conflict. Even among the apostles, there was conflict. In the middle of ministry, there was conflict. And in every church, just about, there's some version of conflict. Conflict should be no surprise. Maybe it should be a surprise of how little it takes to spark it. So the question is not, as we're dealing with this issue of conflict, and I've entitled this message, as you can see, Holy Conflict. The question is not, how do we avoid conflict? Actually, that is the primary question for many of us. At all costs, how do we avoid conflict? Because to avoid conflict and to ask yourself to avoid conflict, to ask a church, a congregation, to avoid conflict is the same as asking that congregation to avoid people. Where there are people, there is conflict. Where there are two people, there is disagreement and conflict. Jesus didn't even avoid conflict. In fact, you could argue that he created in such a way that he would have some conflict. It must have been seen by him as something with potential. The question is on how do we avoid conflict. Today's question is, how can we do conflict without undoing life together? That's the series, Life Together. Let me tell you something you already know, but probably don't necessarily always want to admit. Whenever there's an attempt at life together, there will be conflict. To try to avoid it is not realistic. But how do we do it without undoing the sense of real life together, the, the sense of love and community that we all long to experience? Here's the problem. Most of us see conflict our default position with conflict is that conflict is the beginning of the end of something. It's, an, it's primarily negative. It means this relationship is over. Too many of these and it's over. This unity that we thought we were experiencing at the moment we have conflict, it's over. We see conflict as the beginning of the end of something and then we have to somehow have proven to us that that's something other than that. But we start at that. When st conflict starts, we, our first feeling is a tight chest. It's negative. Oh, no. The whole thing's falling apart. But there's no hope for a healthy life together unless that presupposition, that first thought, that first feeling about conflict, unless that doesn't about face, there's no hope for us. I mean, think of the logic of it. When you have people together, you're going to have conflict. We are talking about living life together, about being in community together, about together engaging with the spiritually hungry, about together moving toward a life in Christ, about together promoting things like the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being thoughtful Christians, logical, thinking 
people and about being involved in our world. This Christianity is messy business. Church, messy business. A church that is not a mess is not a faithful church in my estimation. There's going to be conflict. We're looking at conflict. But there's no healthy life together unless our presuppositions about conflict do an about face. And in order to experience conflict without undoing life together, we need to see conflict differently. We need to see it not only see not only the risk in conflict, and there's risk, but the opportunity in conflict. Is it possible to change our initial thoughts and feelings about conflict so that we at least give equal time to the possibility that there's something to be gained from the experience of this conflict? See conflict not only as a risk, but as an opportunity. In order to do that, to learn a little bit about that, I want to take us back to a text that Pastor Ben introduced us to about two or three weeks ago in his message. It's a text theologians refer to as the kenosis text, Philippians chapter 2. The kenosis, referencing the emptying. That's the Greek word for emptying, where Jesus emptied himself and came from heaven to earth. You understand, as I, ref- as I mentioned with, uh, with the interview, Jesus' advent, his coming here, his, his becoming human and coming and engaging with us is about reconciliation. He's bringing reconciliation to the ultimate and foundational conflict, that constant conflict between humanity and God. And Jesus says, I need to go and bridge this gap. I need to go and address this conflict and bring peace between the people that I created and their father, the Godhead. So Jesus comes as a peacemaker. How about those words of Jesus? Blessed are the what? Peacemakers. Peacemaking, addressing conflict, seeing opportunity in conflict, to bring something good out of conflict. Not the denial of the fact that there's going to be conflict, but reconciling. That's the essence of the ministry of Jesus. And in Philippians Well, the end of chapter 1, and and certainly uh, in the beginning of verse 2, as Ben mentioned, is about addressing that conflict. So how is conflict an opportunity? Here's what I'm hoping to accomplish. I'm hoping to preach this message, however imperfectly it's presented, in such a way that the next time conflict comes and your heart begins to go, (gasps) and be choked off, you'll you'll say instead, you can stay and sit as if you want to too, but you say instead to yourself, what opportunity is there for me here that, it, that can at least parallel the sense of discomfort I feel? So there's risk here, but there's opportunity here too. I mean, to, to, to replicate what Mandela is presented to have said, yes, death can start here, But the Rainbow Nation can start here too. Peace can start here too. Forgiveness can start here too. Reconciliation can start here too. There's something good that can come out of this risk. And we need to see conflict that way. Here's the first offering I make. The challenge to see conflict, not just as the beginning of the end of something, but as an opportunity for spiritual depth. 
Conflict can be a fantastic test and a powerful invitation into spiritual depth because it takes profound maturity and spiritual depth to navigate a conflict in such a way that it does not, it's dealt with honestly, but does not undo life together. And we do that best, of course, as is always the case, when we do it the way Jesus modeled it for us. Look at Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. So this is the introduction to that great and famous kenosis text. Conflict is an opportunity for spiritual depth. Jesus, in addressing that ultimate conflict, listen to him. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, look, church, you're representing me. Whatever happens, whatever conflict comes at you, whatever curveballs are thrown at you, respond to them in a way that's consistent with and worthy of the fact that I came to reconcile. I am a peacemaker. So respond to the conflict you're facing in a way that honors the idea of peacemaking, that's worthy of the gospel. Division and the lack of grace and mercy and humility and tenderness in an honest conflict is not worthy of the gospel. The gospel is what? We said this a couple weeks ago. It's defined as Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in you and you're in him. He, you've been, as Michael said earlier today, you're bought with a price. You're now owned by Jesus. He says, here's now your trajectory. Go after these values of the kingdom of God. The world is broken, and the Christian church need to contribute, needs to contribute not to its further brokenness, but to its mending, its reconciliation, its healing. We need to be putting out fires wherever fires burn between people and doing whatever it takes to contribute to that. We need to be wet wood, the kind that is not easily ignited, but that brings peace. Address yourself to conflict in a way that's worthy, and worthy of and consistent with that gospel. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one, see, one, 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 as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So what happens? There's opposition from outside of the faith community that causes tension inside the faith community. It's like having a spiritual sore back. You just It's tough to not be contrary when your back's all messed up. Mean to the people that love you the most. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed or undone, that you will be rescued, rescued by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to struggle or suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw me have, and now hear that I still have. Conflict needs to be seen as not only something that could destroy with the potential to destroy, but also it's an opportunity for spiritual depth. The first part of 27, because conflict invites us to respond in a way that's worthy of the gospel. There's an opportunity to win. Games that we watched yesterday, teams stepped onto the field with an opportunity to lose, but they also stepped onto the field with an opportunity to win. And some that weren't supposed to win did win. That's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Conflict also invites us to test our level of maturity or our level of 
unity by, prov- by proving the power of Christ in us. Look at the last half of 27 and then the first part of 28. Whether I come or, uh, and see you or not, and I just hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is going to be a sign for them. So this conflict is an opportunity for spiritual depth in that it invites us to test our level of maturity. Every time there's a conflict, every time there's a disagreement, every time something to be worked out, an argument, whatever word you want to give, I wonder if it's possible to ask the question, how is this an opportunity for me to get a sense for how deep in Christ my life is by the way I respond? It's an opportunity for spiritual depth. And conflict invites formation. It's an opportunity to be formed into the image of Christ. Why? Because it aligns us with the sufferings of Jesus and the sufferings of Paul and, frankly, the sufferings of every faithful believer, the challenges of every faithful believer since Jesus and Paul. In order to experience conflict without undoing life together, we need to change the way we approach it. It's not only an opportunity for something to die, and it is that, but it's also an opportunity for something to be born, for something to start, for something good to be launched, an opportunity for spiritual depth. Let's move to a second observation, and we'll finish with this one. See conflict as an opportunity, spiritual depth. But likewise, conflict can be seen as an opportunity for community health. So personal depth individually, but when we have conflicts together as a church, we get to peer into where we are in terms of health as a community by the way we manage that conflict. Philippians 2, which begins that famous section of Scripture, says this, Therefore, if, any have, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and by the way, all of these if statements would imply a yes, we do. If, as you, if you have any encouragement as you do, that's what's meant to be, uh, that's the force of these statements here. So, so if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and you do, if any comfort in his love, and you have it, if any common sharing in his spirit, which you have, if any tenderness and compassion, which we all know you have experienced, if all of that's true, and it is, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. He's not saying, Paul's not saying there, Uh, everybody has to sign off that they agree on everything you're talking about. He's saying, but all hearts ought to be, ought to hold in common the love for Christ, the fact that they are children of God, forgiven by Christ, and launched into a new future by Christ. And if those things are true, and we constantly remember them, then from that context, we can walk into the things that we're disagreeing about. Kind of like I would uh, deal with a conflict with my, my uh, younger brother, whom I love to pieces. We disagree way differently 
than a brother, if I had a brother that I was uh, contentious with and didn't really care for that much. It's an opportunity to show how healthy the community is. And when we read those verses 1 through 4, we realize conflict, it's an opportunity because every time we experience it at some level, conflict will either prove or disprove the fact of those assertions that Philippians 2 makes. The fact of whether or not there's encouragement in Christ. That there's love, there's this common love that we're all recognizing that we're children of God and worthy to be heard. And that we disagree on things. It's an opportunity to prove the health of our community. When addressed in healthy ways, those conflicts can actually launch us into community health and show us where we are as a community, what we have to work on, what we're doing really well in. And then look at, as he goes on, he says, let me say this another way and with more specificity. In your relationships with one another, so there's now no question what we're talking about here, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's how you make conflict work and take advantage of the opportunity that conflicts are, the opportunities that conflicts afford us without undoing life together. Have the same mind as Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he didn't consider the recognition as God something to be grasped, to be forcefully held on to. He was willing to humble himself. didn't matter to him how he was perceived that much. If he was perceived as God, he was willing to let go of that so that he could have an opportunity to enter into our conflict and help us resolve it. Is that part of who you are? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Remember, the context is when you have conflicts with each other. Being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. So you have the, the writer of Philippians saying this. Look, when you have contentious moments with each other, take on the practice of Jesus. And say things to yourself like, here's an opportunity for us to grow. Here's an opportunity for us to experience health, this conflict. It's not just an opportunity for us to die to each other. It's actually an opportunity for us to strengthen our relationship. But I am willing to listen to you because here's some little phrases that are so helpful. I'm willing to be convinced, persuaded by a better argument. Maybe you have a better argument. Did I hear you? Can I recite what you said back to you? Have I argued or disagreed with you in such a way that you have still been honored? Even when I disagree. Take on the nature of Jesus. Look at how Jesus dealt with all of those who opposed him. And then practice the same thing. Do you see how a conflict can be an opportunity to measure the health of our community and to even practice moving deeper in health for our community? See how it can be a benefit to your marriage or your friendship. One of the things I like to teach in premarital counseling is how to have a good argument. Here's one of the things that's important to learn, and learn how to argue. What? You're supposed to tell us never to argue. Yeah, but I'm a realist. I've been married almost 40 years. I know that's not possible. But it is possible to learn how to argue. 
how to do it with honor and not demeaning the person that you're having an argument with. So it's an opportunity conflict, not just the beginning of something that's going to die and the, and the beginning of death. Conflict is a given. There's no life together without some form of disagreement and dispute. There's no such thing as authentic church without some form of disagreement and dispute, whether it's theological, political, sociological, whatever it might be, we have differences, but we're still all owned by Christ, found by Christ, rescued by Christ, and serving Christ together. We're sisters and brothers in the healthiest sense of the word. So the question isn't, will there be conflict? The question is, what new things will conflicts launch in us, give birth to in us whenever it happens? That's the question.